In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. When we find the people of Israel this morning, they are not surprisingly unhappy. They are in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and even though they're still at the beginning of their journey, the trip is already wearing on them. They are tired of camping. They are tired of all the togetherness. They are tired of trekking through the wilderness, and God help them if they had any idea how much longer this was going to go on, they might have started rioting right there in the wilderness. Fortunately, they don't know yet, but still, they're done. They're done with this journey. They're done with this experience. And they ask, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord with us? That's sort of an amazing question, because Israel at this point has seen so much evidence that God is, in fact, with them. They have been set free, led out of their bondage in Egypt. They watched as God parted the Red Sea, and then once they were safely on the other side, they watched as the waves crashed in on the Egyptians. They have been led by pillars of cloud and pillars of fire, and food literally falls out of heaven manna and quail to fill their bellies that requires nothing from them but to gather it. And now in this text, we hear that water springs out of rocks in the middle of the desert. And still they ask, is the Lord with us? What more evidence could they possibly want? They have witnessed remarkable things, proof that God is in fact real and present, undeniable concrete proof that they have touched and eaten and seen with their own eyes. They have seen and experienced God's power and God's love for them. And still, when we find them this morning, they are done. They are done with the wandering, done with the wilderness, done with this journey. They were hoping for more. Now that they're free, things were supposed to get better. Life was supposed to change for the good. They should have had more control over their life and their journey. And instead, they are still in the wilderness for longer than anyone expected. And nothing is as they think it should be. And poor Moses is stuck in the middle between a God who has a vision and a plan, but doesn't seem to want to reveal it just yet, and a people who are desperately miserable. It is so clear to us who can read the whole story that God is with them and wants them to live and to thrive and to be together. But Israel is struggling because the journey that they're on is hard. It was supposed to be over by now, and it has gone on so much longer than they expected. Does that sound familiar? Is there anything in our time in this season that you can imagine sounds similar to that? feeling? Maybe especially the wanting to be done part? It would be very easy for us to look at Israel knowing how the story ends and say, how could they doubt God? Why wouldn't they just kind of put their heads down and get through it? Take one step and then the next step and look around and be grateful for what they have, for everything that God is doing for them. Grateful for the evidence that they have seen and continue to experience of God's love. But my friends, we really don't belong up on that high horse, judging them, because we are no different. 
We too have proof of God's love, of God's power, of God's presence in our lives. And yet when things get hard, when we don't get what we want, and particularly when we think we're wandering in the wilderness against our will, we're very quick to wonder, is the Lord with us? Even though there is life in our lungs and food on our tables, love in our relationships, companions on the journey, a savior who loves us and forgives us our sins, a church to sustain us, sacraments to light the way, prayer to connect us to God and to each other, technology that makes that easier, and science that will help us to heal. Even though the spirit moves in the world around us, guiding and guarding us, even though we still have life in us, when we're done, and we're tired, and we're frustrated, and we're angry, all of us find ourselves, one way or another, to a place where we ask a question that sounds a lot like, is the Lord with me? In order to answer this question once and for all, God sends Jesus into the world, a Savior who is God incarnate, Emmanuel, literally God with us. Both human and divine, Jesus lives a full life with us and dies the most terrible, betrayal-ridden, humiliating, painful death that any of us can imagine. So that we might never doubt that God is, in fact, with us, feels our pain, knows our joy, carries our burdens, so that we might never doubt again that God is, in fact, present among us. And in the epistle this morning, Paul tells us that this is an act of love, of God coming into the world. If you look at the bulletin and you look at this passage, the piece of the text that is offset is known as the Christ hymn. It's a piece of Paul's writing that was used in the early church as a liturgical text, meaning it was used as part of their worship at the very beginning. Perhaps it was an early song in some communities set to music. More often than not, it was probably a creedal statement that was said by the whole congregation the way that we say the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, something that expressed their faith together. And if you look carefully at these words, Paul is making an important point, a point that then, if that text was used widely, would have infused and influenced the whole life of the early church. Paul's image of Jesus is that of the humble servant who empties himself of power and status and privilege, who comes to earth humble and lowly in order to serve, not to sit in judgment of us and not to lord his power over us. This is a Messiah, a savior who is defined by humble service. And the urging of Paul is for us to be like him in that service, to also empty ourselves so that we might serve in similar humble ways not just as individuals, but as a people. Paul, of course, is writing to the whole church in Philippi, encouraging them to be of one mind, to be unified, and to let the mind that they share together be the mind of Christ. And what we know about Paul in his writing is that he means that literally. He actually believes that it is possible for a whole congregation to love each other and to love God so well that they can actually have within them the literal mind of Christ. He believes that it is possible. If we are humble enough, if we work hard enough, if our faith is important enough, 
if we put the interests of others ahead of our own, if we value unity and love and service more than anything else, he believes it is possible for a whole group of Christians to share Christ's mind. And I want you to imagine that literally for a moment, what it means to share literally in the mind of Christ. This week, a few people have asked me about renewal works, this process that St. Matt's is participating in this fall, and what spiritual growth really is. If we look at the Apostle Paul and at his work, he would say that everything that happens after conversion, so everything that happens after we give our hearts and our minds to Jesus, everything that happens after that, everything that helps us grow in our faith, everything that leads us down a path that is more loving, everything that leads us more closely in the footsteps of Jesus toward more humble service, toward more clarity about who God is and who we are, everything that makes us more and more like Jesus according to Paul, is spiritual growth. It's the whole journey. And for Paul, that involves a commitment to prayer and to the study of Jesus' story, so for us, to the study of scripture, and to an active living out of our faith until we reach a place where we share, literally, in the mind of Christ. And the mind in the ancient tradition, it's worth noting, so this would have been Paul's understanding of sharing the mind of Christ. The mind governs all that we do. It's the mind that interprets what we see and whether our eyes look on others with love. It's the mind that guides us in what we do based on what we see, how we live out that love, as well as our thinking and our understanding. It's the mind in this context that also governs the heart and controls our relationships, our allegiances, what we prioritize, and what we take seriously. In the gospel this morning, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus' authority. So he tells them this parable of the two sons. One son tells his father he will go and work, and he doesn't go. And the other son says, I'm not going. But he does. And Jesus asks, which one of these does the will of the father? And obviously, of course, it's the second son who says no, and then decides to go and do the right thing. Jesus is taking a swipe at the Pharisees here, and it's important for us to look at it. He is taking a swipe at Pharisees who consistently say they are doing the work of God, but then don't. Because rather than real spiritual growth, rather than learning to draw more near to God and to each other, rather than serving God's people, the Pharisees are much more interested in appearances, in power, in authority. They're interested in looking the most successful, the most popular, the most wealthy, in running the biggest programs and having the biggest fan clubs. They want a lot of people to listen to them and think highly of them rather than doing the actual work. Their heart isn't really in it. Their desire is not to protect and serve God's people, it's to make money and look smart, to look like they're doing the most, to pray on street corners and in the marketplaces, and to be seen doing so, to hold the biggest meetings and wear the biggest hats, to look like they are very busy about God's work, but underneath the surface and behind the scenes, there is no there, there. Each one of us at different moments in our lives and different seasons has been and will continue to be both of these sons who say yes to God, yes, I'll go, and then we don't. 
Yes, I'll pray. Yes, I'll grow. Yes, I'll serve. Yes, I'll give generously. And then we don't. And there are also plenty of moments when we also say no. No, I'm done. No, I can't anymore. No, I'm too tired and broken. No, I'm not getting fed. No, this isn't what I envisioned or how I want it to be. No, no, no. And then, if we share the love of God, if we want to share the mind of Christ, if we want to be part of this humble service and his work in the world, if we take seriously the vows of our baptism and the bonds of community, then even though the, hum, the sort of human grumbling portion of us originally said, no thanks, I'm done, our hearts will bid us go. Go plug in. Go connect. Go love, go serve, go give, go find a way to be present, go check on that person, go find something to do to make the world better. And no, no, no becomes go, go, go. So this morning, my prayer for all of us is that we might become more and more the son who maybe said no to begin with, but found it in his heart to go and do the work anyway whose heart is moved. May our hearts be moved because we share more and more the mind of Christ. May we have seen the proof of God's love, the proof of God's presence in our lives, and may we be grateful for it. May we grow more and more in relationship with God and with each other, and may this be a community that is unified, that puts the interests of others ahead of our own, that shares in the mind of Christ. May you always remember that this is the God of wonders, the God who can lead us through the wilderness, the God who brings water out of rocks, the God who makes food to fall from the heavens to nourish us, the God who holds us, the God who loves you. And may you keep that truth so close to your heart that even when your grumbling spirit says, no thanks, I'm done, your heart, governed by that mind of Christ, will bid you go so that we might go into that vineyard together to be part of God's work and to be part of God's wonders. Amen.